Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's time for round two of the greatest service on earth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor David. Did y'all get blessed this morning? So blessed when God brought Pastor David into our lives. Anybody that's pastored for 45 years has learned a thing or two. Just just uh, can't avoid that. Amen. Yeah. That's right. Amen. I think what's the statistic? The average pastor these days still only lasts about two or three years. Word of faith is 15 months. Average pastor. Well, it kind of winnows out those that aren't called. Yeah. Amen. Well, are y'all blessed and ready? We're really blessed. For me, it's a, it's a tremendous honor. The next speaker, uh, minister this morning, years and years ago, I had a vision and saw him preaching the Word of God when he was still in his mother's belly. And uh, so my son Zach's going to come and minister to us today. So let's give the Lord a hand clap for the gift of God that's in him. Your hair was gray, though, right, in the vision? So it wasn't this one? Might be another one. Oh, it's an honor to be here. Um, I'm not too worried about going over, because when I was younger, my dad said that all I had was his. So if I have extra time, then it's, it's mine, right? That was good, right? Uh, I want to talk to you guys today. Um, about what I've been learning, um, you know, when my dad asked me to, to speak here today, um, I'm not a pastor of 45 years, I'm not even 45 years old, um, I feel a little bit like uh, Eli Hugh and Job, you know, that, the guy who waits to the very end because he doesn't feel like he should say anything, although that might be a bad analogy because the other guys were saying weird things, but uh, I, I, did, I, did, I did go to Bible school. Um, and I learned some things that I think uh, really helped me in, um, in studying the Word. So I'd like to share some things that I've learned. Um, and today, uh, we're going to talk about gardens and paradise. Um, I'm teaching this Thursday as well, and uh, we're going to talk about mountains and temples. And just a title that came to me. Um, so all these things really do come together, but uh, today is specifically about gardens and paradise. And uh, one of the things I learned uh, in school um, was this thing called pattern reading. I don't know if you ever heard of pattern reading. Uh, so the biblical authors would often use uh, similar words that would try and get you to remember a previous story. Uh, one of the scholars that um, was trying to explain this, uh, he used a, more of a modern term called hyperlinking. So when you're reading an internet article, and you see the word in blue that's underlined, and you click it, and you go to another page. That's kind of what's going on in the biblical narrative, and I really like that, that uh, analogy. Um, I do have some people here from LTS, so uh, I like to do, uh, when I teach, is uh, I like to ring a bell. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Pavlov's dogs. Uh, he, would always, he would always ring this bell and these dogs, and he would give them steak, and then they would salivate as well. 
And then he started ringing the bell and not giving them steak, but they, they kept salivating. It's just a training method. And uh, so when I like to teach, and I use these hyperlinks, I, I ring a bell, and I'm just waiting for my students to start salivating. But I hope, I hope what they do, though, I hope what they do, though, is they see these hyperlinking stories in the Bible. It's a way of understanding the Bible. I like to think the Bible as a, a giant quilt. This really helped me as well. I don't know if anyone makes quilts in here. But uh, you have this giant quilt that often has pictures on them. It's one, either one giant picture or you'll have squares with other pictures. And when you see the, the biblical story like that, where each little square, each little story is part of this giant, what's called a meta-narrative, meta um, is a bigger story. And one of the ways to see how they link is by this hyperlinking in the biblical narrative. And so uh, today we're going to look at gardens and paradise, which would include things like trees, and shrubs, and bushes. It's really interesting, right? All right, so turn to Genesis 2. Why not begin in the book that's called The Beginning? Genesis 2, uh, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Now no shrub of the field had yet grown on the earth, and no plant on the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Springs would well up from the earth and the water and the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the soil of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow from the soil, every tree that was pleasing to look at and good for food. Now the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil were in the middle of this garden. Now a river flowed from Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided into four head streams. The names of the first is Pishon, which runs through the entire land of Hilah, where there is gold. The gold of the land is pure, pearls, and onyx. The name of the second river is Gihon. It runs through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Assyria. The fourth river is Euphrates. Now, I think the biblical author is projecting here because all of these rivers run into what are later Egypt, Babylon, and Assyria, which are all the nations that lead the Israelites into captivity, but it's all the lands that, that are uh, around Israel. So here we see from the garden that all life that feeds all mankind flows from this area. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden, in Eden, to work it and to maintain it. So this is the role that Adam was given, to work the garden and to maintain the garden, the garden that gave life to all mankind. He was also designated to multiply, obviously, at the, at the end, which will come into this as well. And so I want to ask a question. I like to ask questions of the biblical text. It really makes you dive in. Um, I want to ask, where is Eden? Or what, when is paradise? I guess it would be a better one. Because here we have paradise is in the past, the distant past, and man squandered it, and now it's gone, right? <clears throat> so let's turn to Revelations 22. We'll go from beginning to end. Revelations 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, water as clear as crystal pouring out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. If I had my bell, I'd be ringing it right now. The river that flows and gives all life. 
<clears throat> Pouring out from the throne of God and of the Lamb, flowing down the middle of the city's main street on each side of the river is the tree of life, producing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month of the year. Its leaves are for the healing of the nations, and there is no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more, and they will not need the light or a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever. So here at this tree of life will be worship. In Eden, it was to work and to guard, and to hear at the end, it's worship. So there's three things that are happening here in Eden. Now again, I ask my question, when is paradise? Is it the past, or is it this cosmic future that we all are hoping for when we read Revelation? So now turn to Luke 23. Luke 23, uh, verse 39. One of the criminals who was hanging there railed at him, saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. So this is after, after right here while Jesus was being crucified. But the other rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Are we rightly so, for we are getting what we deserve for what we did? But this man had done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And so I asked my question again, is paradise in the past? Is it in the cosmic future? Or is it today? Getting ahead. And if you think, if you think those are your only options, uh, let's go to, uh, we're going to go to Corinthians. We're going to go to uh, 2 Corinthians 12. Now this is Paul writing in his letter. And he says something interesting as well. It is necessary to go on boasting. This is verse 1. Though it is not profitable, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, now he doesn't say here, but he says later, this is him. He's talking about himself. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up to the third heaven. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things too sacred to be put into words, things that a person is not permitted to speak. <laughs> and so I ask again, is paradise in the past? Is it in the cosmic future? Is it in the future? Or is it in the present? And I hope as Christians, deep down in our spirits, we all know that the answer to that question is yes. Right? Yes. Paradise, oftentimes we, we think about it as either something that was lost, and that's something that will be gained. But Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise to the criminal. And Paul said that he was caught up and was in paradise in the present. And so now we need to figure out where is paradise and what is it? So in Genesis 2, in the Old Testament, in the beginning, Adam was set up to work and guard and to worship. And this was a, a royal priesthood status that he was to hold. Um, and this pattern of garden imagery 
moves on into the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, and it runs into Abraham. So if you go to Genesis 12, we're going to read about Abraham. This is really interesting. Now the Lord said to Abram, go out from your country, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. Then I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will exemplify divine blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly I must curse. And all the families of the earth will bless one another by your name. So Abraham obeyed, and he left just as the Lord had told him to do. And Lot went with him. And Abraham took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they left for the land of Canaan. They entered the land of Canaan. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the oak trees of Moreh at Sechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will make this land. So Abraham built an altar there to, to the Lord who had appeared to him. So here we have these Edenic imagery again presented with the oak trees. And what was Abraham, what did he do? He built an altar and he worshiped, just like Revelation tells us. So in this paradise imagery, we see it's from obedience. And Abraham built an altar there and he worshiped. Now, the story of Abraham, this pattern is repeated throughout the story of Abraham. In Genesis 17, he says to walk before me and be blameless, which in Hebrew is, very, is connected with work and to guard, uh, to keep the governmental requirements in Genesis 17, 9. And then when we get to Genesis 18, which I want to read, so I would go there. Genesis 18, this to me is really interesting. I had, uh, I had the privilege of hearing dad's, uh, what you call it, hors d'oeuvres, at Abundant Life Center, um, leading up to the landmark. And he talked about this, this idea of you know, being seated with Christ and uh, having authority um, that Christ had. And uh, I've been meditating on this passage for a long time because it's, it's just so interesting to me, and I really wanted to bring it into uh, this pattern reading. Um, but the Lord appeared to Abraham. This is in chapter 18. And I'm going to leave you with some homework at the end here because I really want you guys to, to meditate on this and think about this. I don't know if you're going to get into this further. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mambre. So again, bell, signaling, trees. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest time of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing across from him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them and bow low to the ground. He said, my Lord... If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass and leave your servant. Let a little water be brought to you so that you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. And let me get a bit of food so that you may refresh yourself since you have passed by your servant's home. After that, you may be on your way. All right, they replied, you may do as you say. So Abraham heard in the tent, which is also known as a tabernacle later on in scripture. And he said to Sarah, quick, take three measures of fine flour, knead it and make bread which is the exact phrase used in the Leviticus for the making of bread by the royal priests. Then Abraham ran to the herd and chose a fine tender calf and gave it to the servants who quickly prepared it. Abraham took some curd and milk along with the calf that he prepared and placed the food before them. They ate while he was standing near them under a tree. Now, if you go down to uh, verse 16, we'll continue on because this is where, this is where it really blows my mind. When the men got up to leave, they looked out over Sodom. Now Abraham was walking with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, 
Should I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? After all, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will pronounce blessing on one another using his name. I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, which is exactly what Adam was supposed to do in the garden. Now, oftentimes when we read about Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of God's wrath, um, which is true, on this, this city. But here, God is inviting Abraham into his divine assembly on, you know, enacting judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. It's just, this is what, this is what Adam was supposed to be doing in the garden. So we have this retelling, this almost act and reenactment of what the garden was supposed to look like. So we have this royal priesthood language. All right, so where is paradise and what is it? So let's go back to Revelations again. We're going to be bouncing back here and forth because I, I, these things just, they just keep repeating. Revelations 2.7. Yeah, let's, read, let's, let's start up in, uh, in verse 1. This is good. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the following. This is the solemn pronouncement of the one who has a firm grasp on the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your works as well as your labor and your steadfast endurance. Royal priesthood language of, of Adam again. And that you cannot tolerate evil. They guard against it. You've even put to test those who refer to themselves as apostles and have discovered that they are false. I'm also aware that you've persisted steadfastly, enduring much for the sake of my name, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, you have departed from your first love. Therefore, remember what your high state you have fallen and repent. Do the deeds you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That is, if you do not repent. But you do have this going for you, hate what the Nicolaitans practice. Practice I also hate. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will permit him to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. Okay? That's in Revelations 2, 7. What did, what did Jesus say to the criminal on the cross? You'll be with me in paradise. So here in Revelations, he says, you will be with me and I will allow you to eat of the tree of life. Jesus also said that this is eternal life. Now remember when Paul, when he went up to the third heaven, he equated that to paradise. Heaven was paradise, this idea of eternal life, of eating from the fruit. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Now, John's vision in Revelation, it begins with a depiction of Jesus as like on fire, which is just crazy to me. It's so cool. Um, but also in Genesis 28, we don't have time to go there, um, is the story of Jacob's ladder. So J Jacob is fleeing, um, he's fleeing from his brother, and he goes to sleep, and he has a vision of a, a man burning at the top of this ladder, right? And uh, he's given the blessing of Abraham, and it says that uh, their angels were ascending and descending. Now, Jesus said the exact same thing in, in the Gospels about his disciples. He, he said, you know, 
you think that I'm the son of man because I said I saw you under a fig tree. Um, I'll tell you this, that you'll see the, son, the angels ascending and descending upon the son of man. But let's go to Matthew 17. I want you to see this because this is exactly what John saw in Revelation and what Jacob saw in Genesis. Matthew 17, we'll go in verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took his, him, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them privately up a high mountain. Now, we'll talk about mountains on Thursday, but I'm telling you, they all, they all intertwine here. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Then Moses and Elijah also appeared before them, talking with him. So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, now pause a second. Do we remember the last time that someone was speaking from a cloud? Exodus, right? Exodus, Moses would speak to God from a cloud. And in Deuteronomy 18, Moses said that a prophet will come after me, and he says, listen to him. What's this cloud say? This is my one dear son in whom I take great delight. Listen to him. This pattern reading again. When the disciples heard this, they were overwhelmed with fear and threw themselves down with their faces to the ground. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, do not be afraid. When they look up, they all saw it was Jesus. So Jesus is this past revelation of this son of man and the future revelation of the one who will give you the tree of life. And so now let's uh, go to John 15, which I want to see here. I remember when I was studying this about trees and plants and all this stuff, I thought it was really weird, and then I read John 15. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And I just, I stopped for a second, and I said, I wasn't so sure about this whole reading pattern thing of seeing these trees and these bushes, and I don't have time to get into all of the Old Testament of where this happens. But oftentimes we think of Jesus just using agricultural terms to describe his, you know, his messages. But when I read this, I said, this is, this is something much deeper. This goes back to Eden. This goes back to Genesis. When Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener, I think every Jew reading this would have immediately thought of Eden. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears fruit so that I will bear more fruit. You are clean already because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, because apart from me you can accomplish nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out like a branch and dries up, and such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit, and show that you are my disciples." Just as the Father has love for me, I have also love for you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remained in his love. Now, if you skip down to, uh, let's go down to, to verse 16 here. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you. Do you remember Abraham? God chose him, and he was invited to participate in judgment with Yahweh. Now, Jesus here says, I choose you and appoint you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This I command you to love one another. Hmm. Paradise does not, doesn't simply seem to be a place or a garden, but it's a relationship with a person. And I think when we start realizing that, that paradise isn't just in the past, something that was lost. Paradise isn't just something in the cosmic future, which will be awesome, don't get me wrong. But we can have paradise now because it's a relationship with somebody, a living person. Uh, Go to Matthew 28. We'll start in verse 16. We're going to read about the Great Commission. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee to a mountain. Wait for Thursday. Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Again, revelation, worship. But some doubted. Then Jesus came up and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, in the garden, who was given authority? Adam was, and he squandered it. And now Jesus is saying, the authority is mine. Therefore, now this is, this is interesting because if he is the high priest and we are the royal priest, then, then we need a mandate, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, again, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Adam was given authority in the garden. Now it's given to Christ. The mandate has not changed. We are to work and to guard and to worship. Adam was charged to be fruitful and multiply. This same mandate was given to Noah, but he squandered it. And so the blessing passed to Abraham. But as we learn from Paul, it's not the children of the flesh who are to receive the blessing, but the children of the promise who believe. The blessing is for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. God's commission has not changed from the beginning. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples. This is not a biological mandate, but a mandate of faith. Paradise, it seems, is not simply a place, but it is a relationship. It is in right relationship with Jesus, the true vine, and the radiance of God's glory. If we are participating in this paradise, when we must become royal priests, just as Abraham had mandated, just as Abraham was mandated, and just as Jesus has fulfilled. So I want to end here quickly with a a little benediction reading over you, slash prayer over you, because I was really blessed with this. Um, comes from uh, Peter. First Peter 2.4 So as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and priceless in God's sight, you yourselves as living stones are built up as a spiritual house, wait for Thursday, to be a holy priesthood, and to offer spiritual sacrifices 
that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in Scripture, Look, I lay in Zion a chosen and priceless cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. So you who believe see his value. For those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stumbling stone and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul and maintain good conduct among the Gentiles so that though they know malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. That's all I have for you guys. Thank you, Zach. Praise the Lord. Amen. Out from the throne flows rivers of life, waters of life. Amen.